Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to the book of Joshua in chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. And I'm going to start reading at verse 6, and I'm going to read through verse 14. Joshua 14 and verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word to Moses, well, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakins were there, the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh a Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. So I tied the message tonight, Caleb, the man with a great God. The man with a great God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to be assembled here. Thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word. And I pray that as we look into the word of God tonight, consider this man in the Old Testament who lived his life wholly following the Lord his God. I pray that we'd be encouraged and challenged to do likewise, to glorify our life, our Lord, with our life, and be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many times as we consider people who have done great things for the Lord, we say, well, what a great man of God. Well, you know, in some sense that is true. But when in reality what we should consider is these were people just like us who had confidence in the greatness of Almighty God. Five times the Bible says that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. His God. And one other time it says that he fully followed. Just a different word, but same idea. So this is why we consider him a great warrior of the faith. So as we consider this man, Caleb, uh, tonight, a man with a great God, I want to notice several things about him. First of all, what, as we consider what, what is it, characteristics of a man with a great God. First of all, he had another spirit. In verses 7 and 8, it says this, Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadosh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. 
Nevertheless, my brethren went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24, you might want to keep, keep a bookmark or keep your finger in Numbers 14 because we're going to be going back there quite a lot because that's where most of what is recorded by Caleb is found other than Joshua chapter 14. But anyway, in Numbers 14 verse 24 it says this, But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the word spirit is translated six times mind. It's translated various ways, about seven different ways. But but it's a good thing about it that you know some of them have to do with breath, and you know you know he breathed in the uh, in a man the breath of life. Man became a living soul. That's the spirit of man. But but I don't believe that's the idea here. I think it's, it has to do with his mind. You know, Dictionary.com defines mind as this. In a human or other conscious being, the element or part, substance or process that reasons, thinks, feels, wills, perceives and judges, etc. So the mind is what reasons, it's a part of us that reasons or thinks or wills. In other words, it determines. And the Bible says here that, that Caleb had another spirit with him. He had another spirit. Uh, in verse 8 of Joshua 14, and of course also verse 24, tells us that he had, that he defines him as wholly following the Lord his God. And, and verse 7 here in chapter 14 of Joshua tells us that, that he simply brought the word that was in his heart. The heart is the seat of the will, the mind if you will. And so, this was his mindset, or his, it's kind of like Daniel, it says of Daniel that he purposed in his heart. In other words, he had determined that he was going to honor God, he was going to endeavor to honor God, no matter what the circumstances were. And this is the mindset, I believe, that we see with Caleb. He had another spirit, or another mindset, from the ten spies, and the rest of the nation of Israel that murmur and complain. It means he had, a surrender, he had surrendered his life. He had already surrendered his ambitions, his purposes to the Lord. It was no longer about him, but what saith my Lord. You know, he, he came, and, and as you think about this, to come to this understanding, you have to come to a proper understanding of yourself. Now look at Psalm 39, and I believe Caleb understood this. In Psalm 39, even though this wasn't written yet, Caleb understood this principle. Psalm 39, verses 5 and 6. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. Mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, man, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. See it. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up rituals and knoweth not who shall gather them. So every man, you know, Caleb understood that every man in his best state is altogether vanity. My life isn't anything without God. I'm nothing. It isn't about me. It's about him. He had another mindset. 
than the rest. Other than, of course, Moses and Aaron and Joshua. He understood, Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. If you don't have the Lord, you don't have anything. You don't have life. See, he had another mindset, another spirit in him. We see also, you know, because of this, there were some other things that went along with this. We see his devotion to the Lord. If you notice again in verses 7 and 8 of the book of Joshua, chapter 14. And let me put my bookmarks there so I can uh, back to that rather quickly, like I told the rest of you to do. But anyway, uh, as we think about his devotion to the Lord, I want to notice three things. First of all, he was devoted to the Lord in that he was not diverted from the Lord's will by the opinions of men. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadosh Benita to spy out the land, and I brought him word as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And in Numbers 13, verse 27, this is the actual kind of when this happened. And, of course, they bring back this report. Verse 27 says, And he told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, as this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. More we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against that people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land which through which... We have gone to search it. It is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it were are men of great stature. Now, was that phrase true? All the men? All the men in the land are men of great stature? And there we saw giants, sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and which were in their sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So, so, despite the opinions of the others, you know, the ten, of course, Joshua wasn't of that opinion either, but in spite of the opinions of the, of the others, Joshua was not deterred. He didn't follow. You know, he didn't put his finger up and say, which way is the wind blowing here? I'll side with the majority. No. Yes, it, you know, and they admit, yes, it is the land of milk and honey, just as the Lord said. However... You know, it's like people today say, well, we know what the Bible says, but, you know, we have to live in this world. And nobody does that anymore. And we don't want to be different. You see, he wasn't diverted by the opinions of men. You know, Moses told them in, in Exodus chapter 23, verses, verses 1 and 2, not to follow, not the multitude to do evil. So he was not diverted from the Lord's will by the opinions of men. Secondly, he was willing to sacrifice his own life. If you notice again in 
in verses uh, 9 and 10. It says, And Moses swear in that day, saying, Sure the land wherein thy foot hath trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Now, notice the phrase. He says, Behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. You realize he almost got stoned to death? In Numbers, chapter 14, verses 6 through 10. Again, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land, and give it us the land which floweth with milk and honey, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is parred from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. You know, I believe if the glory of the Lord hadn't appeared, they would have stoned him. Him and Joshua. But the appearance of the glory of God thwarted their case. Their cause, I should say. Kept them from it. You know, the world hates the truth. And these people hated the truth. And they opposed the truth. You know, they may not stone you for your devotion to the Lord. They'll just disrespect you, slander you, attack you to justify themselves as victims of your outlandish belief and practice. Look at, look at verses 1 and following. And all the congregation lifted up their voice. This is chapter 14 Numbers. All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses, against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation, the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Now consider what they're doing here. They are accusing God and Moses, and Aaron, and Caleb, and Joshua of attempting to ruin and destroy their lives and their children. And they're the victims. They're the victims. But you know, the solution is very simple. If they would just listen to the word of the Lord. But they're so blind to the truth, they will not receive it. And instead, they claim, throw out the victim card, that they are a victim to this Moses and this Aaron and, and Caleb and Joshua and the likes, leading them into this place where there's just man to eat. And leaving us here to die in this wilderness.
But you notice the third thing. Not only was he willing to sacrifice his own life, and not, he was not deferred by the opinions of men, but his devotion to the Lord was such that he was grieved with their rebellion. Notice Numbers 14 and verse 6. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Now, when you see, read about someone in the Old Testament scriptures rending their clothes, it's a, it's a sign of deep anguish, of deep grief, of grief. You know, Jacob, when, when, the, when the, the brothers came back with the, with the coat, you know, torn coat that they had torn, and the blood sprinkled that they'd sprinkled on it, and all that, and told about how Joseph, well, they, they didn't really say how, but they said, you know, consider is this Joseph's coat or not, and, you know, Jacob assumed that some wild beast had killed him. And it said he rent his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned. And we find here that Caleb and Joshua are deeply grieved over the report of the ten spies and the response of Israel and they rend their clothes. Mark chapter 3, verse 5 says, And we looked round about on them in anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and stretched forth his hand restored his old. Of course, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, he was angry. He looked about him, on him with anger, but it grieved him, the hardness of their hearts, that, that they would let a man, they would pull a sheep, out of a pit on the Sabbath day, but they thought it wrong to heal a man's hand on the Sabbath day. You know, Proverbs 24, 17, and 18 says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him. And he turned away his wrath from him. You know, we shall not rejoice when those that oppose the truth fall. We know it's going to happen. They're going to be destroyed. You know, many times in this life, they, you know, I was reading today about, uh, I was thinking about the, uh, one of the guys, the lawyers, that tried to bring a lawsuit against former President Trump. And now he's going to jail for four years for his crooked dealings. And now, how foolish, how sad. You know, you, you, for trying to get unjust gain, you would do something wicked that ends up, you know, and we ought not to rejoice. You know, he is getting what he deserves. But we ought not say, praise the Lord, they got what they deserved. That's not the right attitude to have. Because it goes on, again, I want you to notice what this says. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it. In other words, he sees your rejoicing over your enemy fallen, and it displeased him. And he turned away his wrath from him. God pours his wrath out upon the wicked. Every day. But we ought not to be glad that God pours out his wrath on the wicked. 
You see, Caleb was greed by the wickedness of his brethren. He was greed by it. He had a mind. You might say he had a mind like the Lord. What's it say in Genesis chapter 6? That it grieved the Lord that he had made man when he saw his wicked, the wickedness of man on the earth. It grieved him at his heart. And so, so we see he had another spirit. We see his devotion to the Lord. I want you to notice a third thing. He endured with long-suffering the hardships of the sins of his people. Notice again, verse 7, Joshua 14. Forty years old when I, was I when Moses, servant of the Lord, sent from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy foot hath trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years. Even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Now, when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, where was Caleb? But uh, he was wandering in the wilderness with them. You know what? You know what we see here is the sins of the people affected others. He isn't one, He wasn't one of the ones that rebelled against the word of the Lord. Yet he suffered for it. He suffered for it. He was not part of the sin of turning away from the promise of God. In fact, he opposed it. Yet he suffered. Well, he said, that's not fair. Welcome to the real world. You might say, well, and this is where a lot of people have problems with God. How do you answer that? Well, let me, let me give you a couple things. Number one, God did not have to deliver Israel at all. He didn't owe him anything. He simply chose to. You know, they were stubborn people just like you and me. He didn't owe them anything. And God does not owe you anything. He does not owe you eternal life. He does not owe you the good things of life. He does not owe you anything. Anything, any good thing you may have are but of the mercy and grace of God. You know, make that a permanent fixture in your mind. You know, we live in a world that, and it influences us, where we think we're entitled to certain things. You know, I've heard Christians say, well, because, because, and they maybe say, well, because this person is faithful, you know, God did this for them, but because this, and they judge because they see, think this person's more faithful than this person over here, that they got good things and they got bad things. That may not be true. 
I've known some very godly people that have suffered very difficult things. See, you and I don't deserve any good thing of God. Nothing. That's kind of hard to swallow, isn't it? But we don't. Because we're sinners. We're wicked. What we deserve is judgment. Death. Hell. That's what we deserve. We don't deserve anything. So Caleb, you know, Caleb's probably thinking, well, God's delivered me from Egypt. You know, I should be in Canaan land, but, you know, hey, at least I'm not in Egypt making bricks and building Pharaoh cities. Which would you choose? You know, some of the fools thought they'd be better off in Egypt being slaves. And he said, God has kept me alive and strong. Notice again in verse 10. Now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. And he said these 40 and 5 years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses. And I, yet, verse 11, I, yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day when Moses sent me. See, God didn't have to give me anything. God didn't owe me anything. So if I got something good from the hand of God, even if it wasn't what I expected or in the time frame I expected. You know, we can, we can rest assured that if we have, 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 have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, we are going to have eternal life. We have it now. And this transformation of this eternal life is going to take place even though we don't have it yet. But until then, we have to endure the sufferings with the rest of the world. I mean, hey, uh, my wife was cleaning today for some people and their air conditioners went out. You know, air conditioners are no respect to persons. And they can't get parts for them. They have trouble getting parts for them. You know, that could happen to your air conditioner. The bad things in the world that are going on, the gas prices and all that, it's no respecter of persons. We suffer with it just as the wicked do. Your God reigns on the just and the unjust alike. See, in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, Jeremiah, as he looked over the city of Jerusalem, said, Is it of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed? Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So, God did not have to deliver Israel to start with. He didn't owe them anything, and He didn't owe us anything. Secondly, any blessing we receive from God is a gift. A gift of love from our Heavenly Father. You know, Matthew 7, verse 11 says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, Give good things to them that ask him. James 1, 17 and 18 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will, 
In other words, of his own will he begot, begot he us. In other words, of his own will. It was God's will to send his son to die in our place so we could have eternal life. It wasn't what we, we desired. We weren't seeking after him. That's what Romans tells us. That none that seek after God. God was seeking us. So it was of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. See, every good gift and every perfect comes down from the Father. So though Caleb wandered for 40 years, 45 actually, with the rest of the nation in the wilderness, yet he had what he needed. Now think about that. He had what he needed. It wasn't the Holiday Inn. And it wasn't ham and eggs for breakfast, you know, uh, chicken cordon bleu for dinner, and, you know, and all, all the, the, the choicest of food and meat. But he had what he needed. He had what he needed. And it was training time to teach the children of Israel and the rest of the nation to learn to be content with such things as they had. You know, it's interesting to me when you read the account in Judges chapter 1 and 2 that the generation that overlived Joshua, who were children in the wilderness, served the Lord in the land. When they had all the plenty, everything was a plenty, and they had everything they could want, they, those people that, were, that had lived in the wilderness, that had learned to be content in the wilderness, they served the Lord. But the next generation, you know what they started doing? Making leaks with the people who were left in the land and worshiping their gods. They were no longer content with the God of Israel. You see... That wandering in the wilderness trained them to be content with such things that they have. You know, that's a major problem in our world is discontentment. A lot of people just aren't content. Hebrews 13.5, a lack of contentment is covetousness. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So then we understand that, you know, life isn't fair, and we're going to endure hardships of the world, and we are to endure, and we are to learn from the hardships of life. They are, if you will, the school of experience. Now, we say experience is the best teacher. However, isn't it true that so often when we go through difficult experiences, we rebel against them? And yet we say, experience is the best teacher. But we don't want to have those difficult experiences. But you know what? I, I learned in school that the hardest teachers were the ones I learned the most from. Mrs. Heinemann was a no-nonsense math teacher, seventh grade. I'll never forget her. 
you know, sometimes you could joke in some, some teacher's classes, not in hers. She was no nonsense. But I learned math very well in her class. You see, difficult experiences in our, Lord, in our lives that the Lord allows can teach us and instruct us. Just as James 1 tells us, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that trying your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. And this is what Caleb learned. And the children of those who rebelled against God learned in the wilderness is that I need to learn to be content. You know, if you ate the same thing for 40 years, anything you ate would satisfy you. Well, as long as it's good. But you would be content with just about anything. You know, we have so much today, and our lives are cluttered with so much stuff and such variety, we don't learn to be content. We like constant change. Then notice the fourth thing. He had confidence in the Lord to perform that which he promised. Notice verse 10 through 12 of Joshua 14. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive as he said these forty and five years, even since the Lord Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am the strongest day as it was the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakins were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord hath said. You know, he had confidence. His confidence was not in himself, but his confidence was in the promise that God gave him that he could drive out the Anakins, the giants, who had walled and fenced cities. Not only did they have the advantage of size, they had advantages of walls and fences and weapons of war, which children of Israel did not have. They had farming tools. Do you realize the children of war did not have swords and spears until the days of the Philistines? And even in the days of the Philistines, the only ones that had swords and spears were Jonathan and Saul. And they took their farming tools down to the Philistines to get them sharpened. They weren't a people. They weren't a people that were a warlike people. That wasn't their purpose. Even as Baptists throughout history... You know, if you study Baptist history, one of the things you find out is that they didn't have really any interest in going to war. They didn't have enemies. I mean, they had people that were enemy against them, but they wanted to give the truth to every man. They didn't want to go about killing people. They weren't quick to join up. They, They weren't people to, you know, be... Quick to join the military. Now, if their freedoms were threatened, they would fight. 
they weren't opposed or thought they didn't think it was wrong to go to war, but they didn't they weren't a warlike people that just went around conquering other peoples. And neither were the children of Israel. That wasn't their goal. Their goal was they were used of God to bring judgment upon wicked nations that God determined needed to be destroyed. And Caleb had confidence that God would do through him and the children of Israel what he had promised. And he simply acted on that promise. You know, and this was his story from, from the beginning. You know, it, he says in, in verse 8 of chapter 14 of Numbers, if the Lord delighted in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Own rebel ye not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Their defense is departed from them. He already knew they were trembling. Do you remember what we read about when you get into Judges or Joshua chapter 2? And Joshua sends the spies into Jericho. And you remember what Rahab told him? When we heard what your God did to the Egyptians, our hearts melted. And we trembled. And all the nations of the land were scared. You know, we use this phrase, scared to death. That was how they were. They were actually scared of the children of Israel because of what they heard God did to the Egyptians. And that's what Caleb's reminding him, them here. Look, their defense is depart from them. They're bred for us. You fear them not. See, he had confidence. You know, Romans 4, 20, 21 speaks of Abraham. says, he staggered not at the promise of God's unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving God, glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Do you believe that God will perform what he has promised? And Sarah, speaking of the same situation, Sarah in Hebrews 11, 11 says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. It was all based upon a word that they got from God, and they acted on it. Proverbs three twenty six: The Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Proverbs fourteen twenty six: In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. See, Caleb's refuge was the Lord. That's what he was trusting in. That's what he was depending upon. Isaiah 30, 15 says, Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall you be saved. Now, context here. I think it's verse 1 that says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt. Now, this was the days of the kings of Hezekiah and Manasseh, and the people of the land were getting afraid, and some of them were going to go down into Egypt. And Isaiah says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt, trust in chariots and horses, and not in the Lord. 
And then in verse 15, in that same chapter, he says, in returning and rest. Now, you return back to the land, and you need to rest in the Lord, because that is where you shall be saved. That's where you'll be safe. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and ye would not. So rest in the Lord. Put your confidence in the Lord. Fear not. You know, the difference between others and Caleb was he feared God. They feared the giants of the land. I mean, God had already displayed his power at the Red Sea, destroying the mightiest army in the world. See, to turn away in fear is unbelief. It's unbelief. Your fear is not really the problem. It can be the catalyst to the problem. Fear is not really the problem. It's how you respond to it. You know, Caleb was a man that followed a great God. Is your God great? If we were to judge God by your relationship or how you follow him, what would we say about your God? Would we see him as someone we could trust in through difficult times? Or is he just someone we sing about and consider on Sunday? How will people, by how you live your life and your relationship with the Lord, how would, what would people say about your God? You know, Paul told the Corinthians, you are living epistles, known and read of all men. What are they seeing? You know, when we look at a man like Caleb, what we see is a great God. A God that can do great things. He has power. Above the armies of the world. He has all power and all might. What will they see if they look at us and measure our God by us?